0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on the show, we are talking about ski quivers and addressing some of the questions that some of you asked us on the site. Plus, we'll get to some other questions related to ski quivers, including things like, general principles for putting a quiver together, and we talk a bit about ski boots and address the somewhat dreaded topic of the one boot quiver. Now, before we dive into that, there's a few things I want to tell you about. The first is that I would like to invite all of you to check out this week's episode of the Powell Movement Podcast, where I was asked to provide some inappropriate questions for backcountry skier and mountain guide extraordinaire Greg Hill. So you can check out Mike's conversation with Greg, and then you can see just how big of a jerk I was to Greg. And bonus, you can also see how big of a jerk I was to Cody Townsend, too. Sorry, Greg and Cody. I love you both. Mike made me do it. Okay, next thing. In this episode, something that comes up is the question of the relevance and applicability of our personal ski quiver selections, to your personal Ski Quiver selections. So we will address some of the questions and concerns about that, but as you will hear me say in this episode, if our personal Ski Quiver selections or our Ski Quiver pairings that we have in our buyer's guide still leave you with some questions, then we highly recommend becoming a Blister member, then sending us an email, and I'm extremely confident that we can get you all sorted out. We've been doing exactly this for years now, and we have received thousands of emails from Blister members who have written back to say that they are very happy with the skis and the boots and the bindings that we have recommended for them based on how and where they like to ski. So yes, if you still have questions or you are quite understandably hesitant to pull the trigger on a purchase, become a Blister member, send us an email, And I guarantee that we can help. And I'm telling you, this is a much better strategy than staying up all hours of the night, reading and rereading the same reviews or creating weird spreadsheets that no one other than yourself would ever understand, or holding a seance or flipping coins or whatever it is you do to try to whittle your options down to a single selection. Become a Blister member. Send us an email. Simple. Okay, last thing we are going to be running a second part to this Ski Quiver Questions episode where we will be talking to our reviewers, Kristen Sinat, Sasha Anastas, and Kara Williard to get their take on some of these questions. And so with all of that out of the way, let's get to it. Well, gentlemen, we recently wrapped up a rather monster-sized discussion about ski quivers where we went from five to four to three to two to one. And we covered a lot of ground and territory and got a ton of comments on the site. And so I figured we would just use this as an opportunity to talk through some of the questions that emerged or some of the questions that maybe didn't get answered. So let's just get into it. One question that I think is a good one, and we had a few people sort of ask us about this. When someone is thinking about how to put a ski quiver together, are you guys, we'll just stick to your opinions on this, are you guys interested in putting together a group of skis that, I like to use the term a lot, kind of have a strong family resemblance, or are you looking to pick some skis that are really quite different from one another. Do you have any kind of general principles when it comes to ski quiver selecting Luke?
1: Yeah, for me, uh, it depends on the size of the quiver for, if I get a ton of skis, I'm personally much more inclined to, pick a pretty diverse set of skis. Like this year in my larger quivers, I had the extremely heavy and extremely stable Rossignol Black Ops 118 as my wide ski, but then also the extremely light and extremely not stable line Sir Francis Bacon. Um, and for me, when I have that many skis to choose from, I like being able to choose skis that let me ski very differently, um, potentially in similar conditions. Like the bacon is extremely easy to flick around. It's extraordinarily playful, super fun, but re- definitely not super fun for going really fast. Whereas the black ops is super fun for going really fast. Um, and I prefer to have that kind of diversity in my quiver because I think, I think it's, it's different for everyone for sure, but I tend to switch up my skiing style fairly often. Like not, not to extreme degrees. I don't, go from skiing like a ski racer to skiing like the bunch um but having skis that can let me switch that up um depending on feeling on a particular day is something I really like um but firstly when I'm limited to just a few skis um that's where I tend to want them to feel a bit more similar that's where I feel the need to be a bit more realistic
2: yeah and I think that I agree with you a lot Actually, Luke, and that, and it, you can see it on the site and the quivers that I've chosen too. And that when the quivers get smaller, the skis get more similar. For me, it's more about the utility behind it. Like if I have fewer options, I'm going to lean into a ski that I know I can do the things that I, I'm going to need to do. You know, that's like skiing variable conditions, touring, um, things that lend themselves to my personal style of skiing, so I generally typically, I typically like, you know, lighter weight, more energetic skis, um, stuff like that. But when I when there's when there's more options on the table, um putting in putting in skis with a variety of of uh of personalities, if you will. Like for instance, I think my five ski quiver I had the vocal mantra M5 along with the Atomic Ben Chutler 120, which like are pretty opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of skiing style weight all sorts of all sorts of stuff
0: so yeah (laughs) yeah and i think that one's hard to know i mean we're in a fairly unique situation i think in that like literally it's our job to evaluate skis and a really wide range of skis which mandates that we do switch up styles accordingly, or we're going to have some really bad reviews that are just like, yeah, the the lightweight Ben Shetler 120 sucks. You can't drive the hell out of it. It's like, well, that's just a dumb review and you're bad at reviewing. So I guess I think that as a principle, unless people know that they really enjoy switching up and you know, trying to approach the mountain in a pretty broad range of styles, I think it probably makes the most sense to, for the most, for for the broadest number of people to think about that kind of family resemblance and how a couple skis sort of complement each other. Um, Maybe there's something that is a bit more playful if you tend to really value really stable skis or something that's a bit more stable. If you tend to, you know, have a preference for lightweight, super quick skis, yeah. So I, I guess I'd say, while we might have a little bit of a different approach given what we do, I think for most people, I'm I like that term family resemblance, and that probably makes the most sense in terms of having the most fun every time out and having the tools that will let you have the most fun, which is the only point of at the end of the day, doing this work of bothering to assemble a quiver. Like that's the goal. When you get out to the mountain, whatever the conditions are, you have the right or the best tool for the job for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, another variable that I'd um, forgotten to mention is like the number of days I'm skiing, if I was skiing like 10 days a year, if I even had a large quiver at that point, I would definitely lean more towards skis that I know I'm gonna get along with yep. and that I can hop on one and get on the other and not have to adjust. Whereas skiing like a hundred days a year, I have a lot more opportunity to get on more skis and adjust to them. And I'm not worried about one tenth of my season being ruined by having one bad day on skis. Um, so I think that's another thing to keep in mind, at least from my perspective.
0: Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for us to bring up. I mean, you know, I saw a statistic, um, it's been quite a long time since I saw this, but that the typical skier is getting like six or seven days a season and whether that's exactly where, you know, surveys have us right now. Let's assume, let's take that number seven, um, and that's great, right? I mean, if people are getting out seven days a season, great. But yeah, if that's the way that you're assembling a quiver, I would want to really make sure, especially if you're the sort of person that has to travel for ski for skiing, and so is lining up a trip maybe eight months in advance, when really you have no clue what the conditions are going to be like, that's where I really would want to find kind of the sweet spot ski. And I'm not going to pick skis that are really specific, either in terms of deep snow performance or for carving performance, unless that's all you do, in which case it's a great choice. Um, But this is where we get into some know thyself stuff. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit here, because I think that was something that we got a lot of comments where people were a bit perturbed that we weren't basically answering the question, what is my personal favorite ski quiver, as in them, the person writing the comment. This was about us and our preferences. And Damn it, people. If you don't read our introductions to these things, please start doing that because we always spell this out. Do you guys have anything to add to that? This, like, if you're assembling a ski quiver for, let's say, the vast majority of the people listening to this who are maybe getting seven to 10 days a year.
1: I think the only thing I'd add is that when we're talking about, like, say, a two or three ski quiver where some of your skis are used in. Only in the resort, some are used only in the backcountry. I also—that's where I definitely want family resemblance, so to say, um, between my resort and my backcountry skis. And for me, as someone who likes to ski a bit more playfully, a bit more centered, that was actually pretty hard to hard to accomplish uh, previously because there weren't a lot of playful touring skis that were light enough that I'd want to pick them as a dedicated touring ski. But now um, the market, especially the backcountry markets. Diversifying a lot recently, um, which is nice. So now I can actually have uh, a touring ski that's definitely a lot lighter and a lot less stable, but I can ski it in a similar manner that I do in the resort. And I find that more important for the backcountry, since like as opposed to doing twenty laps in the resort, I may only be doing one to five laps in the backcountry. In that case, I just want to ski. I'm going to be comfortable on.
2: Yeah, and the other thing that I would point out, um, going back to the, you know, the average person who skis seven days a year, is that if I were making a quiver where most of my ski days were going to be either like based around one vacation or you know one-off days here and there, my quiver would probably get a bit narrower with the caveat that if I do happen to be on a vacation and it's gonna nuke for a day and it's gonna be deep, I can go to a shop and you know demo or rent a a wider ski for that day because those those wider skis do get more specialized. So a little narrower quiver with a f- with fewer days is probably gonna be more versatile, um, at least for me.
0: Yeah, one slight caveat to that, or maybe just in addition to that though, I definitely think that's a fine strategy, but I have been talking with a Blister member recently about an upcoming heli skiing trip where this is one of these like, This is going to be kind of a trip of the lifetime. I want this to go well. And in that situation, you know, because this is not like just a run-of-the-mill ski vacation in any sense, I'm really encouraging this person to try to get on that ski before, you know, as opposed to just going in cold um, on this like incredible trip. And so that's, I think my only, like, I don't know if that's a caveat or an additional sentence, but if, if someone is like, yeah, I'll just rent something super fat on a deep day. Well, okay. But I hope you've had some, like some time on something similar because I would hate to have you on like maybe your best day all time. And you're like, man, I'm not, feeling totally comfortable on this wider ski so i don't know that's my only caveat i guess sam to that comment
2: yeah and and i i think i would i would condition my statement too on this idea of like it depends on your quiver where you're at what the day is going to be like there's a lot of different factors that go into like these these things and whether that would make sense or not um but yeah ruining your great day on a ski that you don't or don't get along with well would be not great. Yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> In great. general, though, like for instance, if 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 my like narrower quiver was you know something like uh like one ski quiver was like a Mantra M five and I know I'm gonna be going out and it's you know predicted to snow eighteen inches. I'm I know at least for my for for myself I would have more fun on a one ten plus ski pretty much any yep one ten plus ski on the market than I would on that Mantra M five you know. Yeah,
0: and. The only thing, again, though, is, Sam, you get to get on a whole lot of different stuff. And so- Right, no, Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. this, This is where I do think this is a great time where become a Blister member, send us an email, right? Because if someone said, hey, I ski the M5 and I love that ski, what wider ski would you recommend where you think i have the best chance of really getting along with that and that's i think something that we tend to be really good at answering so that might be a case where it's worth a person's time to send us that email and you know this is also something we try to do in our buyer's guide where we in the buyer's guide are putting together hypothetical quivers made up of skis that we think pair well So you can take a look at our buyer's guide. And if there's still a bit of hand wringing, become a blister member, send us an email. Let's move on. Somebody asked about the single brand question and had the nerve, I'll say to open their question by saying something like, yeah, I agree with Sam, (laughs) which is also, it's like in life, Whenever you open something that you're about to say with, yeah, I agree with Sam, you might want to rethink, you know, your question or the path you're going down in life. <laughs> but, um, the question was, what's kind of the utility of this single brand ski quiver question? Why, why bother? Luke, what's your answer to that? We shouldn't ask Sam cause he doesn't know either <laughs> apparently, but, uh,
1: yeah, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, first of all, it's just a fun question to think about. Um, And I mean, the whole quiver idea thing is is fun to think about. But in my mind, um, it gives, like from a reader's perspective, if you know our reviewers' skiing styles, it kind of gives you an idea of which brands are making skis that align with those different skiing styles and and where each of us ski and how we ski and stuff like that. Um, So like... Um, if you went through the quivers, you'll notice I think Sai um, and I, both very playful skiers, both ended up picking moment and line a lot of the time. I think both of those brands make, um, have a very good lineup of skis that match like, Cy and I's skiing styles, kind of the more playful end of the spectrum, whereas other reviewers never picked moment or line. Um, I think that, in my mind, that's the main um, utilitarian purpose of that question, apart from it just being interesting to think about.
0: Yeah. And I would, I think it provides a sense of which companies are working in sort of a number of different, you could say genres of skiing. So some companies, for example, are making some really lightweight kind of ski mountaineering or schema oriented skis. Some skip that all together. Some are making dedicated carvers, some don't bother, some don't have very interesting offerings if what you're into is that really fat, wide, playful powder ski. And so to me, it's just kind of interesting to come back and sort of see which companies are working in which spaces and categories and, and which companies are able to nail it in all of these different genres. Um, so is it, is it important? No, but I think it's interesting. And like one brand that I thought was pretty interesting was that as I was thinking through these quivers, like Nordica's just not doing anything on the touring front right now. And by the way, I'm 100% fine with that. Like brands that decide that it makes the most sense for us to stay focused in a given category, kudos, great. You know, I I would rather do that than just start acting as if it's important to try to throw something out into every category.
2: Yeah. And I, I think my frustration with that question more was just like writing these, 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 these quivered selections and then getting to this and like, you're thinking so hard. This is like difficult decision making, you know? And then you get to this stupid brand question. You're like, "Oh no, I have to make another difficult decision that, like, like you just said, Jonathan isn't important."
1: Uh, so what you're saying is <laughs> you're lazy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think. No, what, what I'm saying learned... is that writing these articles was draining, and I was, I was, I was, I was at
0: my wits' end when I got to that question. <laughs> uh, I think what we've learned across the Gear 30 podcast is Sam is bad at skiing, and now he's also lazy. So, yeah. So, when did we he decide
1: he's bad at skiing?
0: You actually said that. It was in my reviewing the reviewer episode. He Sam said something about us. Uh, all skis are kind of the same, or they don't really matter. Oh, and okay. Your comment was, "I think that just proves you're bad at skiing." So, yeah, this wasn't even mine, man. Sam, you got Luke ganging up on you. She's tough. It's okay. I, I I can take. I stand by that too. All skis are pretty much the same. <laughs> Such a terrible. Oh my god. Why do? Why does he still work here, Luke? Um, okay. Question number three. We got a number of comments that were like, "Hey, y'all need some Tahoe reviewers, or y'all need some Midwest reviewers." Sorry, somebody did literally started the question with "y'all," which so. It's there now all y'all questions, I guess. You need more Midwest reviewers or we need to redo this entire thing, but with intermediate or beginner quivers. The shortest answer to say again is we made it very clear at the top of these documents that these were our personal choices. And we tried to provide the rationale for why we picked the skis that we do. That's number one. The second thing about skiing on the East Coast or skiing, say, Tahoe is I do think that sometimes people will overstate the absolutely and utterly unique nature of their snowpack or their snow quality. So on the, what I've said in past years, we have skied, quote unquote, out west, as in further west than the Rocky Mountains. But the most legit Sierra cement I've ever skied was probably actually in New Zealand on a given day in New Zealand. And I think that if someone is spending that much time out on the mountain, you are going to come across a really broad sp- spectrum and range of conditions. And I actually increasingly maybe, um, as we're seeing fluctuating climates and temperature changes and the like, I actually think that's becoming a more relevant variable than just like, oh, if you're on the East Coast, that means you only ever ski blue ice and never anything different. Or if you're only skiing in Tahoe, you only ever are skiing really heavy, dense snow. So I think I find those kind of objections to overstate The nature of the snow in any given location. And another thing that I think that is really a relevant factor is if you're at a short ski hill or a big, big ski hill with really long, say, groomers versus really short ones, that's definitely going to be a relevant factor in terms of what kind of ski length I might be tempted to go with. And again, If you find yourself reading one of our reviews and you're not sure whether what we're saying is going to be really germane to where you happen to ski, both geographically and also where on the mountain, that's a really good time to become a Blister member and send us an email, right? Rather than being like... We need to go hire reviewers that directly mimic one to one every skier on planet Earth, which sometimes seems to be the request.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough thing to balance, um, and I agree with most of what you said. And I think the only thing I'd add is that, at least for the past few seasons, Colorado's had some pretty weird snow conditions. Like we've gotten the typical, like very light blower pal, but then like last March, we got a lot of super heavy storms. Um, and then you have like, we've started off the season with icy slopes, obviously not quite as icy as the East coast. Um, (laughs) I'm going back home to Wisconsin over winter break and I'm hoping to ski a little bit there, um, to remind myself what blue ice feels like for the entirety of a run. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, and I th- I think the other thing is that, like you said, like become a, become a us member. We can make suggestions. And yes, if I was skiing, for example, only in Washington, my quiver would probably be a little wider, a little more rockered, probably a little heavier. Um, but I know what I would change my quiver to if I was doing yeah. that. Like I think I think. Many of our reviewers have a very good idea of ski design, what works in what scenarios and what doesn't. And yeah, so like I, I do know what Sierra Cement is like. You know what Blue Ice feels like. And yes, my quiver would change. But since these were about our personal quivers and where I ski most, that, that's what I opted for.
2: Yeah, and I I would. I mean, I think there's. I have a lot of opinions on this that have been talked about on other podcasts, but to talk a little bit about something else is that across these Quiver articles, we hit on pretty much all manufacturers and all types of skis across the market, except for a ton of dedicated carvers because not many of our reviewers ever spend a day doing anything but doing only groomers. Um, So that said, I think we do have a pretty good representation of the state of the market in these Quiver articles, just maybe not direct apples to apples to what all of our readers are seeing on their local hills. Um, That said, I think we could perhaps um, propose to the committee to add in the question of something along the lines of, if you had to add a dedicated carving ski to your Quiver, what would it be? Um, I think that, 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 that might be useful.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And just to be clear, the reason that we aren't spending an entire day on groomers typically is because we truly are on a given day, I'd say like 98% of the time, we're kind of skiing everything. So I always start with like one or two warm warm-up laps on groomers and then we might, if it's good, we're, we're boot packing, we're hiking out into steeps. Or if the steeps are kind of messed up, or if stuff's terrain's not open, we're skiing moguls. But like most days, we're kind of skiing everything. And by the way, when we're done with pretty much every mogul run or any um, steep hike to terrain, we are coming back on groomers. So we're getting like groomer skiing in literally every lap. So I don't want there to now be this false assumption that like, oh, the folks at Blister apparently don't ski groomers. Like that's false. We ski them literally every run. It's just that we tend to want tools that will also allow us to not kill ourselves or blow our knees out skiing moguls or skiing steeps, et cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah. And while we have posted reviews of dedicated carvers where we like when we do take like like sam skied oh moguls God. on like the head i Titan, but i mean we'll focus on groomers for those but like i think to provide an example my favorite lap on the m- mountain um is starts at big shoot which is pretty steep um off piece never groomed usually bumped up has a little air at the bottom then it drops me into paradise bowl which starts off with like a hundred feet of groomers, then I go into a mogul field and there's an air there and then another air and then you finish off in a mogul field and then you hit another groomer, take a cat track around the mountain, and then get on a blue groomer that's pretty fast. Hit another cat track, run through the park, groomer to the bottom. So you get like a bit of everything. And that's like that example of a lap is like my ideal scenario. Like I like yeah. a little bit of everything. Like early season I've been really liking carving on skis with short-term radii and that are pretty narrow and then later in the year I'm going to want wider skis that are going to be a lot more fun off-piste and especially as you can see in a lot of our one ski quivers most of them are skis that will do everything pretty well which I think for a lot of people is what the one ski quiver is supposed to do.
2: Yeah, and, and I think regardless of what you can do on the iTitan, you should not ski big shoot on the iTitan. <laughs>
0: no, no.
1: I still think we need to do ski roulette sometime this year. Oh, man, I'm
2: so into Ski in roulette? that. Or spin, spin the bottle ski style. Oh, no. Yeah,
1: um, there was a video. I can't remember who posted it. Someone threw a dub 10 on one of the skis from the Super Shape series.
0: props um the last thing i think i'll say on this then is by the way i really stand by our front side our dedicated carver reviews i think they're right i think they're accurate and everybody can go check those out um we're going to be doing more of those and we'll keep putting them out and so sam i do think you're right and i think we will add next year like cool dedicated carver you're not coming off the groomer all day long Um, or you're going to be say doing one full and exclusive day of groomers one day a week, every week, every week throughout this season, what would you go with? And I think that would force us off of this. Um, I mean, that's the irony, right? Like quivers are necessarily a, a question about versatility, and people are mad that we're not picking really specific tools. And I, I understand why. If you're at a mountain where when Luke's describing his ideal run, where they're like, look, it's rock hard. I promise you wouldn't be doing that many weeks of this season. Um, help me out here. Give me something that would be a kind of, quote-unquote, versatile frontside carver. Fair enough. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, it just depends interesting question. What's the snowfall cutoff for lower versus higher snow areas? That's something we do talk about a lot, right? Quickly, how do you guys think about that or answer that?
2: Well, I, I don't really think about it as like a number of inches per year kind of cutoff, because there's a lot of different things that go into it, right? Because yep. um, like here in Colorado, for example we don't get all that much snow. You know, a lot of these resorts are getting 300 or even less inches of snow a year, which isn't that much necessarily. But because it's so cold and so dry, the snow doesn't get very icy and it stays pretty soft and biteable and edgeable for almost the entire the entire year, barring, you know, some man-made snow in the beginning of the season and various things like that. Um, so I think higher snow versus lower snow areas might be a bit of a misnomer, at least the way that I think about it, in that, I think of it as like, are you skiing soft snow or are you skiing hard snow, right? So if you're in the, the East Coast where it's high humidity, a little warmer, you're skiing a lot of ice, that's a low snow area. Or if you're in Australia or something like that where it's just like, is actually, it doesn't just snow that much, that's obviously a low snow area too.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you, but I think your definition of a high, low snow area still aligns with how much snow they get. Like, I haven't looked at totals recently in a while, but, like, I think of, like, for example, in America, East Coast, Midwest, or low snow areas, Rockies, and west of that, higher snow areas. I kind of think about it, like, do you get more than 10 six-inch fresh snow days a year? If so, I guess I'd call that a higher snow area. But yeah, most of the time I'm thinking about geographically, East Coast, Midwest, lower snow area, West Rockies and West Coast, higher snow area, British Columbia, higher snow area, um, Japan, dream area.
0: (laughs) So yeah, I think to try to sum that up, it's like if you live in Niseko, Japan, or if you are skiing, say, a Wolf Creek that just gets a lot of snowfall and you are willing to say that generally i'm skiing in deeper or if not deeper at least softer conditions that have good coverage that's definitely going to influence and impact the types of skis that you might really enjoy in those places or that you can quote unquote get away with skiing
1: yeah i think now that we have talked about it more i think i do i think agree with sam in that i think about more snow condition or like snow firmness like colorado especially right now we have a lot of man-made snow in most resorts and it is very firm but mid-season it's ideally like chalky firm and we'll still get we'll still get like sheets of ice on the really steep groomed runs um like by the middle of the day but i think of a higher snow area as a place that rarely sees like blue ice or just straight up boilerplate conditions. And I think that tends to correlate with how much total snow they get.
0: Let's move on. Question. How do you choose which resort ski to take out on a given day? I thought in some ways that seemed like a really kind of simple and obvious question. And yet Maybe it's a little less obvious than um, we might think. So that's the question. How do you choose which resort ski to take out on a given day?
2: Well, for me, it's really easy. Um, someone <laughs> always tells me.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is true. This is true.
2: Or, or you know, you stand in the middle of HQ and you spin the bottle and whichever ski <laughs> it points at on the wall, you take that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. If we weren't reviewing a bunch of skis, um, I'd say most of the time it's pretty straightforward. It's just depending on the conditions, um, but it also depends on how big of a quiver I have. Theoretically, like, like I said, like we talked about earlier, like if I have a really big quiver, and the conditions are like kind of soft, not deep, not super firm, there are a lot of skis I can pick, and that's where it comes down to like, do I want to try and mess around in the park and try some new tricks today? That opt for something really freestyle or do i want to like try and do the fastest time lap on headwall? i'm gonna pick something like earlier um so i'd say yeah for me i have a big quiver um one the conditions are probably the most important factor like i'm not gonna pick a skinny ski on a proud day i'm not gonna pick a super fat ski on a super firm day um so that'll narrow it down significantly and then if i'm yeah, like a five ski quiver. I'm probably just at that point. Once I know the conditions, I'm probably just going to be picking between one or two, ideally like directional ski or full ski, something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, where we, I mean, it is a little tricky because on the one hand, we have a ton of skis to review, and so you know, when it's a big pow day, I'm not. We're rarely actually reaching for like what might be our favorite ski to take out on that day. And it's more about this is a perfect day to go get this ski that I'm reviewing in these deeper conditions, which by the way is actually how you ought to review skis. Uh, Dear other ski review places that review everything over the course of like three days, regardless of conditions, just saying. But anyway, barring that, I mean, honestly, to me, a pretty big, factor might be who am I skiing with that day and so if I know I'm going out with the crew that all we're going to do is be like hiking to steep gnarly stuff well then that is going to really influence the decision if I'm going out with somebody who I know likes to kind of stick to groomers and keep it kind of chill then that's that's definitely going to have a big influence and be a big factor and I think by you know I think the way this works is the smaller your ski quiver, it's just like that's fine, but it's more the onus is going to be on you to switch up how you ski a a particular ski if it's a super thick, dense, deep chop day and you're skiing off-piste or if you're then going to go ski that exact same ski on-piste on really firm groomers, you're going to be switching things up, as opposed to having your equipment be the thing that's really being the the variable that's getting changed up there.
2: Yeah, and and, and I would add, I think the people you're skiing with is super super important, um, and also the the uh, the snow report, snow conditions, things like that. But another thing that I think about when choosing a ski is, and this is you know first world first world luxury I have because. I ski so many skis, but is what I skied on yesterday or what I've been skiing on a lot recently. And whether I want to change things up and go to a different style, you know, if I've been skiing in a damp, heavy metal ski for a few days that I've been testing, maybe I want to go take out something lighter and more playful or, you know, something along those lines.
0: Yeah. And by the way, this is the part where I've said this before, but like in a lot of ways, I'd much rather just have three or four or five skis. I know them really well. I mean, that's in some ways one of the hardest parts of the job, especially when we find ourselves like, oh, here's a really steep entrance. You just have to straight line the first 20 feet. Not that big of a deal, but if you blow the left turn, you're kind of screwed. And I'm like, no, cool. I don't know what this ski does at all or how it handles. So in a lot of ways, I would love to be really familiar with the equipment that I'm on when we're skiing all the time, rather than this just rampant switching up.
2: I mean, I don't know what you're complaining about. Like we already established they're all basically the same. So
1: <laughs> I will admit my Thanksgiving present to myself was getting to take out the Sir Francis Bacon on <laughs> last Thursday. Yeah. Cause it's way too fun, but I'm back on new skis now. So okay. don't worry.
0: You're welcome. People. <laughs> quickly on this it was a second question to the one we just asked do you go with mount point options for the resort ski if so do you recommend spending extra cash on demo bindings or inserts i'm gonna go first on this one short answer no i do not switch up mount points on my personal skis um I'm only switching up mount points if I'm trying to figure out where I think a ski works best or feels best or most balanced. But no, on, on my personal stuff, I'm not like, oh, big pow day. I'm going to mount this ski back too. Um, I find the position on the ski I like, I mount there, and then I will adjust throughout the day, whether it's a deep pow day or firm groomer day or whatever. But no, I'm not making... I'm not switching mount position depending on the day just to remove that variable or something.
1: Yeah. I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't think there are any skis I've been on where I really like it at two different mount points. It's, I can't think of a case where, where that's happened. It's pretty much always like I find a mount point that I like and I stick with that. Um, I think the trouble then is figuring out which mount point you want to mount at the first time. Um, we're lucky enough to be able to test skis at a variety of mount points. If I was buying skis of my own, I'd probably just either, well, ideally go to a demo, try them, and you can mess with the mount point then, um, or read reviews like ours. And for a lot of skis, we try and go over mount point if, if it's a kind of point of contention or, um, something where we think it could benefit certain people.
2: Yeah. And and I I would say that there are such a huge variety of really high quality skis on the market that for a lot of things, if you're, if you're looking at a ski and you're like, ah, but I think I'm going to want to mount it, you know, significantly off the line. Like maybe you should be looking at a different ski because there's a, there's a lot of great skis with mount points all over the board. Um, So if you're like, I'm a more playful skier, well, you know, there's a ton of really progressive mount point skis out there that you should take a look at. Likewise, if you're a directional skier. So um, unless you have really, really specific needs, I would be really reluctant to recommend people go off the recommended mount point unless they get a chance to demo and like really decide this is what jives for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm biased here. But if we are writing in a review, like we really preferred this at minus one or plus one, we don't write that stuff like very flippantly. So I, I, for what it's worth, I actually, if if I was just reading Blister and not writing that stuff, I would feel like it's pretty safe to follow our recommendation on those things if you're just really not sure. Or again, send us an email. Um, Sam, one thing I'm wondering about though is it strikes me that if anybody would have good reason to be wanting to move a mount point is park skiers. If they are trying to use the same ski in the park, and then also as their only all mountain ski and pow ski, you agree with that or disagree with that? You know, like mounting, say dead center, and then wanting to move back minus two or something. Yeah, I
2: mean it's a really interesting concept, but I think in practicality it sort of falls apart because yeah. I think the demo bindings would literally fall apart. Yep. Um and I wouldn't feel comfortable putting inserts in a ski that I'm going to be landing big jumps on or hitting rails and things like that. So I I think the idea is good if you really need a one ski quiver and you're skiing a, a lot of park, maybe maybe you need to figure out an in-between dead center and recommended mount or like free ride mount or whatever they put on a bunch of these park skis to, to you know somewhere in there that's going to match up with 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 the your the way you ski on the mountain um but yeah i think most park skiers have a pretty good idea of where they want their skis mounted for the most part because they go through so many skis uh that they've gotten to mount a bunch of skis <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and like most of the people i know that spend a lot of time in the park like they just Ski everywhere, super centered. They ski everywhere like a park, so they don't really need to adjust, and they're willing to deal with like a bit more f- or a bit less tip and a bit less flotation and soft snow. Um, I think Marker made a binding the that you could adjust. It. Yeah, yeah, um but I I know some park skiers that use that and they had a tendency to explode yeah. um pretty quickly if you used them in the park. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Sam, I totally agree with your statement on that, which is something I never thought I would hear myself say out loud.
2: Man, everyone's agreeing with me today. It's
0: amazing. I don't know I what happening. I should go like happened. buy a lottery ticket or something. <laughs> you should. Yeah. Um, Sam, take us to our next question here.
2: Yeah, so we got a comment on the site that I think um, isn't isn't so much a question, just more I think it's a really useful comment and a useful thing to think about. Basically, this uh, this reader was saying that, in his opinion, the most important gear question that we ask ourselves on Blister year over year is the One Ski Quiver for Dedicated Resort and the One Ski Quiver for Dedicated Touring in our One Ski Quiver article. And I I think that is a really astute observation because, well, for, for many reasons. One reason being that pretty much no one has a dedicated one ski quiver that goes to the resort and touring because almost all of us start skiing at the resort and then decide they want to go touring and are required to buy a different ski setup. So unless you're like clean cleansing and selling all all your old equipment, um for someone to actually do the resort and and ski the backcountry in earnest, like most people do have multiple skis, but most A lot of people also only ski the resort or, or majority of the times sp- they spend touring. So the idea of separating that out is more useful than I think our actual one ski quivers for the general reader because our actual one ski quivers are so personal. You know, every person picking one ski to do all the things that they need to do is really, really unique to each person. Um, whereas I think that, that idea of resort only, touring only has a much larger general applicability that's I think probably very large.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like we talked about earlier, like average skiers getting maybe around seven days a year. In that case, pretty good chance I'm not going to get a quiver. I'm going to get one ski if I'm only skiing seven days a year. Um, So that's where I think it's also valuable. But yeah, Sam and I discussed this, um, like the particularly the one backcountry ski quiver. Like there are definitely lots of people out there that only ski in the backcountry and they'll have a quiver just for that. But I feel like as that segment keeps growing in popularity, there's a lot of people that are looking at asking us, like a lot of blister members too, like, okay, I'm getting into the back country. I want one ski to do everything. I want it to do it pretty well all around. What should I get? Um, I feel like that's a question we're getting more and more often. And then that's becoming more and more useful.
2: And especially because touring setups are so expensive, you know, like, a ski, a you know, a ski that costs five to a thousand uh, dollars, a five hundred to a thousand dollars, rather a binding that costs you know maybe five hundred bucks, a boot that costs maybe almost even a thousand dollars. Like it adds up really quick, and then skins and beacons and probes and shovels and backpacks and airbags and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, yeah, buying multiple pairs of skis if you're trying to get into the backcountry isn't really realistic for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where kind of that quote fifty fifty ski, like our single do it all one ski quiver. I think that's where that slots into a lot of people's quivers. It's like they have a resort ski and then they have a 50-50 ski that they can use in the resort, but that is also going to be their, quote, dedicated touring ski.
0: Luke, what's our next question?
1: Um, so we got a question from someone asking, basically noting that the line sick day 104 was absent from many of our quivers this year. Um, and while we did a lot of us included it in the skis we wish or almost made the cut or wish we could include. Um, I think it's worth noting that like, at least for me, like I could have flipped a coin between some of my choices for that ski. I ended up choosing the romp 100, which is kind of cheating cause it's custom. Um, and then the lions Sir Francis bacon this year, last year, the sick day one Oh four was in a bunch of my clippers and I would be like, if I had to put a number to it, I'd be like 90% as happy on the sick day one Oh four. The only reason I chose the bacon over it this year is because I'm starting to place more of an emphasis on like skiing switch and being able to spin with a balanced feel and flipping and stuff like that. So I went for the more playful ski this year, but I, the sick day one Oh four is still one of my all time Favorite skis. I think it's one of the best skis on the market, arguably, um, just in general. And um, there it was in no way us no longer loving it as much as we did.
0: Okay, we are going to wrap this up with a pretty big and sort of awful question. We've been talking about one ski quivers, but we got a question about uh, a one boot quiver. Right? And this just hurts our hearts. Like Luke and I are sad just reading this question. It's just gross and wrong. But um yeah, basically that was the question. So we've been talking a lot about backcountry skis and resort skis and sometimes 50/50 skis that we have to use for both applications and we have intentionally avoided this terrible conversation about well, what if you have to use one boot both in the resort and for backcountry ski touring my answer which i think i've said this on record before is like you don't have to accept that world where you have to have one boot there are convenience stores that can be robbed there are like grandparents that have bank accounts that you can probably figure out like the passwords or it's like those, you know, the information's written on a post it note in an old desk somewhere. Thievery, I think, is a more acceptable thing to do than to assume you can only use one boot for both ski touring and resort riding. So you'd
1: make a terrible police
0: officer. <laughs> I would. Yeah. It's just like,
1: oh, but I was robbing the store because I need an extra pair of ski boots.
0: I'd be like, you may go now. And then I'd high five them. Yeah, so that's basically my take. I I just, I'm not into this at all. But let's say we live in a terrible world uh, where people are just like, I'm doing it all in this one boot. Uh, Luke, you go first. In this terrible world scenario that I hope may none of us and none of you ever be subjected to, what are you going with?
1: Um, So the funny thing is, I don't think this is nearly as terrible of a world as you do because I've essentially been using a touring boot as my Alpine boot for the past two years. Um, the Nordica Strider 120, it mostly because it fits my foot better than any other boot I've tried on. Um, and that's by far the most important factor. It's not like it's not going to offer quite as good suspension as a dedicated Alpine boot. It definitely doesn't offer as good rearward suspension as an Alpine boot with a fixed cuff. But I've been pretty happy using that as my dedicated resort boot. Again, mostly because it fits really well and it's strong enough um, and not harsh, not super harsh. So I can ski in the resort. Uh, that said, I think I. Am kind of the opposite of you where you would be pretty mad about having to ski a touring boot inbounds i'd be mad about having to ski a 50 50 boot in the backcountry preach yeah (laughs) even like a, a still pretty stiff boot like the technica zero g that boot walks so much better than the strider and especially for when i'm out all day and, like, weight is a priority, and I'm just going to be walking a lot or skinning a lot, like, I would really, really miss the lower weight and much better range of motion of the Zero-G. Um, but, yeah, the, the Strider would be my pick for now. Um, the, the new Bell Lupo Pro HD has a very good chance of replacing it, but I'll be messing up with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of with Luke on this that I... Yeah, you're going you're gonna to sacrifice on one end or the other, but the difference in sacrificing on the resort side, you know, like taking a touring boot into the resort is that you're not gonna have quite as much fun in the resort, whereas the sacrifice you're gonna be making touring is that you're just not gonna ski as much because you just can't, right? You're just gonna get tired quicker, you can't go as far, you can't go as high, whatever. Um, So for me, the likelihood of like a day ending because my boots weigh 2000 grams a foot where they could weigh, you know, five, 600 grams lighter than that on a touring day. I'm, I'm going to pick a touring boot and I've been skiing this Mistrali XT this early season and definitely I am not, I've not finished with this review at all, but initially I'm, I'm pretty in on it. This boot is shockingly stiff and strong. So I'm excited about that. I also think that Dalbello Lupo Pro HD, I think I got all those words right, um, that Luke's been using looks pretty rad. Um, also, and that's, that's that's a heavier boot as well, but still in that kind of 50-50 boot weight.
1: Yeah, that boot, it's very heavy. It's over like 2,000 grams per boot, oh, okay. 5, but the main reason that it's appealing to me for this case is because you can remove the tongue and you do get a lot of range of motion. Um, still really heavy, but um, a little bit easier on your joints.
0: Yeah. You know, I guess coming back to this scenario where it's like, let's talk about the person skiing seven to 10 days a year. Yeah. I think you can argue, man, I'd still rob something I'd still steal, but like you can, I guess, I mean, there it clearly, can like you understand the rationale for why it makes sense to own just one boot, but it doesn't address it's like the compromises you guys are talking about are still significant, right? And, um, that said, I do think there are probably more options currently in the 50 50 market than say ever before. So I will acknowledge that it's a better time than ever to have to go the. Single boot for both, but there still are pretty significant compromises. And it is kind of probably relevant information that, I mean, a reference inbounds boot for me for several years now is literally one of the heaviest Alpine boots on the market, the Head Raptor 140RS, which I think comes in around 2,400 grams. Like, that's a heavy boot. And for touring, I go the other way, right? Like I'm personally very into right now that Zero-G Tour Pro, as Luke said. It walks beautifully. No, I don't confuse it with a head Raptor, but I really like for how light that boot is, the suspension in that boot. Um, You know, it's a really nice boot for a very different application. And man, I don't want to ski that thing every day pounding out, big bumps, at speed, hitting wind scoured stuff. I don't want that zero G to be my inbounds boot. So, you know, if I had to do it in a single boot, frankly, I would, right now in this moment, I would probably pick the Lang XT free, largely based on Paul Forward's review, where he kind of A-B'd that directly against a Lang RX and is like the downhill performance is really close. And I just will take that penalty. I'll take that weight penalty and the walking penalty, but, um, that's definitely what I would do. And other people who are like, cool, I don't want to accept that weight penalty or the walkability. Cause I want to get a lot of vert done or multiple laps. They're not wrong for going a different way. But for me, I know that's how I would answer the question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious, like right now, I think there are a lot more 50, 50, I think 50, 50 boots, ski closer to alpine boots than like the touring boots ski to the 50 50 boots if that makes any sense like i think you've got good options if you do a little bit of touring or you're like you and you prioritize downhill performance over uphill performance if you want one boot to do everything Um, what i'm curious about this year we got some liners from intuition and i'm wondering just how much of a difference, like I know Cy played with this with the Atomic Hawks Ultra XTB 120, how much of a difference a uh, burlier or lighter liner is gonna make in a lightweight touring boot like the XTB 130 or the Zero G. Um, because if I get to cheat and take two liners, then I might be more comfortable going with a lighter boot. But right now and for the scheme that I do, I'd just stick with that 5050 us.
2: Yeah and one one thing that I think needs to be said before we uh before we wrap up here is that if you do decide to do what I said I would do which is take a touring boot for everything basically understand that you're going to the likelihood of breaking your touring boot skiing it in bounds is way 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 higher than would ever be for a 50/50 or an alpine boot. Uh, These boots are not designed to, you know, be like pounding, hard terrain, stomping big air, stuff like that. And I see a lot of people out in the resort skiing boots like the Mastrali RS. And um, it's like, yeah, that is a a stiff boot. It's as stiff as a lot of Alpine boots. That doesn't mean that it is built to take the the abuse that a lot of Alpine boots are. Um, So... Strong caveat on my recommendation there. Yeah,
1: particularly (laughs) if you're an aggressive and or large individual. Um, I've seen a lot of people blow up touring boots into the resort.
0: Well, hey, let's leave it at that for now. We have typed a lot of words and spent a lot of brain energy thinking about ski quivers. And hopefully this conversation functions as a nice supplement to what we've been doing on the site Uh, Again, takeaway, if you're mad that we don't have a reviewer who is exactly your height, weight, wears your exact same ski kit, and skis exactly the runs that you like at your preferred ski area, become a Blister member, send us a note. We've been doing this for a long time, and we have a long track record of lining people up with the right equipment now, so I am confident in our ability to help you out on this front. Cool. I'm going to let you guys go, and we will talk to you real soon. Cool. Cool. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Sam and Luke for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And again, we will be revisiting the Ski Quiver questions in another episode with Kristen, Sasha, and Kara. So stay tuned for that. And if you are enjoying these episodes, we'd ask you to do us the very small but important favor of subscribing to Gear 30 so you catch new episodes right when they come out, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a good rating in iTunes. And folks, come on, let's be honest here, we know how many of you listen to the show each week, and let's just say that a very large and growing number of you keep tuning into the show each week but only a tiny fraction of you have left us a good rating, you know, which is your way of being able to say, Hey, thanks for these. Thanks for being like my gear addict support group. Or actually, I don't know. Maybe we're more like your dealer who just keeps you in supply. Anyway, I don't know what we are, but I think you've listened to enough of these episodes to take a simple 30 seconds to leave us a five-star rating, right? Anyway, we thank you in advance And please take good care out there. We will talk to you again next week.